Let us turn to the second book of Samuel, and chapter 23. And let us read the first five verses. Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel, said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning, when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth, by clear shining after rain. Although my house, particularly this verse, Although my house be not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. That version is context as the Lord enables. There are four main themes we want to look at here this morning. First of all, well, just before we get to the themes, let me put things in context. This is David at the end of his days making an assessment of, of his past life. You see that at the very beginning of verse 23, now these be the last words of David. Not necessarily the exact last words that he spoke, but words that he spoke towards the end of his days, words that probably means that last uh, words that are written to us that he spoke, but uh, words spoken at the end of his days and making an assessment of his past life. And as he makes that assessment, there are four main things we want to note. First, the yardstick of that assessment. And we'll find that yardstick particularly in the first three verses. And then secondly, the assessment itself, the self-assessment. My house is not so with God. And thirdly, his compensating cheer. Although his house be not so with God, yet God has made with him a covenant. And it's in that covenant that he finds his compensating cheer. And then fourthly, and suggested by the words at the end of that verse, although he make it not to grow, David's hope. And I'll try and explain that more fully when we come to that portion. These four themes, then, first of all, uh, the 
yardstick of assessment. And it's not a worldly, it's not a worldly yardstick of assessment. The worldly yardstick of assessment would be, what have I done that has brought pride to me? It would have been, it would be a yardstick that would be self-centered, self-glorying. But the yardstick that David uses is um, a God-given yardstick. And you see that in the very beginning of the, the first early verses. He's speaking as a prophet. These be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man who was raised up on high the anointed of God of Jacob, that's a prophet, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, and so on. But notice, it's as a prophet he is speaking, the anointed of Jacob. And the prophet did not speak his own words. The prophecy came of old time, not of men, but holy men speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So it is the, he is speaking the words, but it's God who is speaking through him. This is what we speak of as verbal uh, inspiration. God speaking through his servants and giving us his word. And notice how emphatic that is done. He doesn't just say it once. He says, uh, the son of Jesse said, and then he says, uh, one who is anointed of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, and then he says again, the Lord spake by me, by me, and notice his word was in my tongue, God's word. The God of Israel said, it's God who is speaking. He's emphatically making that point through him, through his tongue, God's assessment that God-given assessment that he gives us. But it's not just a God-given assessment. It's an assessment that is centered upon a particular person as a standard. And that particular person, notice how he's described... He that ruleth over men, not just David was a ruler over Israel, but this is one who is a, a ruler over men and who is described as just or righteous and ruling in the fear of God. Notice it's going on further in verse 4, and it's a metaphor to describe him. He shall be like a uh, he'll be like this, like the, a cloudless morning. The light of the morning when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds. Purity is, in, is there in that metaphor. Holiness is there in that metaphor. And then there's the next, the next bit of the metaphor. He shall be as the tender grass springing out of the earth after a shower of rain, as it were, and the sun coming on it. 
so the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. A beautiful metaphor again of the grass in its purity rising out of the earth on such a morning. And with the psalm that we sang, Psalm 72, speaks that as well. Um, as rain on moon grass he shall drop, or showers on earth that fall, I think. And notice again in that, that same psalm, there shall be fear while sun and moon do last through ages all. Like rain on moon grass he shall drop, or showers on earth that fall. And again, he's described as an equitable and righteous judge. He shall judge the people righteously, and the just shall flourish in his days. Well, it is the Lord Jesus Christ, surely, who's being described there. And what David is, in effect, saying there is the standard of assessment is the one who is such. He is the exemplar, and we are to seek by the Spirit of the Lord conformity to his character and will in our own lives. That's the standard. The standard of assessment then is God-given, but it's particular, it's in the word given to the prophet but particularly pointing to the one who was to come, the one who has now come, the Lord Jesus Christ, our exemplar and standard of assessment. Very easy to look back on our lives and, oh, what I've done. David could have, could have pointed to much in his life that was, that was successful. He had um, built Israel under God into a powerful nation. He had brought peace. Well, there, there had been warfare, but he had to, he had been he made Israel a powerful nation by the enabling of God's grace. But that's not what he centers on. It's the God-given standard, and it's the standard that is there in the one who is pure and holy and just and true. Now, secondly, his self-assessment. When he takes himself against that yardstick, what does he say? My house is not so with God. Not so with God. Against that yardstick, I come short. Well, he could have, as I said, have pointed out to the successes of his life, but no, it's against that yardstick I come short. He remembers particularly that sin of adultery with Bathsheba. He remembers uh, that premeditated murder of her husband, Uriah the Hittite. Yes, he has experienced forgiveness for that sin. Nathan came to him and said, Thou art a man. But Nathan also said, God has put away your sin. 
forgiveness. But although he had been forgiven that sin, the consequences of that sin continued in his family. A reminder to him continually of how short he had come. It, had, it was there in his family. Well, you can see it in, in, the, in his nephews, the sons of Sarah, uh, Joab, Abishai, Azahel. They were continual thorns in his flesh. You see it also in um, Amnon and his adulterous relationship with his sister, Tamar. And you see it also in the rebellious rebellion of of uh, of of um, uh, Absalom. Thank you. The consequences were there in his life, and as he looked at these consequences, he remembered, "Well, my I have come short." And we must remember that too. We can experience the forgiveness of our sins, but the consequences can continue in our lives, and they are reminders to us. We do come short, far short of the standard set before us. And thirdly, his compensating cheer. Although my house, my dynasty, it's not what it ought to be, has not been what it ought to be, yet, oh, how thankful for the yet. Yet he, God, has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, and this is all my salvation and all my delight. Stop there. And this is why we read in Second Samuel chapter 7, You remember how David, at the end of his days, desired to make a house for God, for the ark of God to dwell in. He remembered how he had himself lived in, in very great comfort and luxury, but the ark of God was there in tents and in tabernacles, and he made his mind known to Nathan. And Nathan said to him, go do what is in thy mind, and what thy will. But that, then that night, Nathan was told by God otherwise. David was not to build that house for the ark of God. And we know that the reason for that was that there had been so much bloodshed in his days. But he was not to build that. But what God told him through Nathan was... You're not going to build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build for you a dynasty. And, and, and the covenant that was made with David there, and God was making it, his dynasty was going to continue. Continue through the ages, continue right up until there would come through that line one who would be an everlasting king. 
than what's going to come through that line, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promised Messiah. That was the promise, that was the covenant promise to David. You might say temporal insofar as the line was to continue, but going beyond temporal, the spiritual, in Christ, the everlasting king. But that covenant was enclosed within a greater covenant. Covenant that is from eternity and goes on into eternity. The covenant that God the Father entered into with God the Son and God the Spirit from all eternity. Covenant from which was to come the Messiah, the miracle of the Incarnation. We know that we're not going to go into all the details today, but Christ and him crucified, the blessings, the spiritual blessings, not just temporal, not just a, a, not just a continuing line of dynasty, but a spiritual blessings that would come upon his believing Israel. Not just a temporal Israel, but is believing Israel to the end of the ages. That is the covenant that David particularly had his delight in. Yes, there was the covenant made with himself regarding his dynasty. But this one, within the, the covenant with himself was enclosed. A secure covenant an eternal covenant. You see, this covenant is secure because it's between God and God. If it were between man and man, it would be brittle. It would be broken on either side. If it was between God and man, it could be broken on our side. But it is primarily and especially between God the Father and God the Son. It's unbreakable. It's a sure covenant. The sure mercies of David flow from it. And it's a covenant in which David speaks of it as his salvation was there. Salvation of his soul. It's a covenant in which every believer can say that. Covenant that is ratified in the blood of the incarnate Son of God. Covenant that is sure. A covenant that is delight and salvation is in. A covenant, the blessings of that covenant particularly, were anticipated through the ages of the Old Testament by saints. See Genesis 49, for example, I think verse 8, where, uh, day, where um, Jacob is giving his blessings to the family. There stands out this verse. Seems to be out of place. I have waited for thy salvation. 
There was Jacob then, even on his dying bed, as you might say, looking forward with anticipation to the blessings of that covenant that would be ratified to him. Well, in the blood of the incarnate Son of God. Look also at um, Isaiah 25, for example. Uh, I think about verse 7. Can take it from verse 6. And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, of wine on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees well refined. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of the people shall he take away from off the earth, as the Lord hath spoken it. There, I say, you are looking forward with anticipation to the blessings that would become Hadn't yet come, he was still in the Old Testament, but looking forward to anticipation to them by faith. You see the same thing in chapter 60, I think, or 61, I think it is, and I hope verse 8. No, it's not but the wrong verse. But look at it. You see it again in Simeon. Simeon looking forward with anticipation to the blessings of that covenant also. And he went up when the time that Jesus was to be circumcised. He met him, took him up in his arms. Now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. He had been anticipating it. And there it was, he could, what he had been anticipating. He took that child, the one who is the blessed one who brings the blessings to himself. The Old Testament saints then looking forward as their salvation and delight, just as uh, Samuel was here, uh, David was here, towards these blessings. All my salvation, all my delight was theirs. Indeed, you could say that they, as they anticipated the blessings, these Old Testament saints, it was like their faith was like a telescope. Faith is always centered on the promises of God. And it's in these covenant promises that they, their faith was exercised. Just as, just as, just as David's was. And by the telescope of faith, they bring the promises into the present. That's what exercised faith does. It brings the promises to be present realities to me now. Wonderful thing to live by faith. 
all my delight, all my desire. But fourthly, the hope of David, although he make it not to grow, although he make it not to grow, the years were passing, the promises were there, the years were passing, centuries were passing, but the Messiah had not yet come, the blessings had not yet come. And David was a man just like we are. His faith was being tried by the passing of the years, although he make it not, although the promises are not yet coming to fruition. And there could be times when the faith could be brought to shake a bit. Whenever we look at things through our own notions, through our own feelings, well, feelings can, can fail. Whenever we go away from the, from the rock of faith and we come to our own notions of things, there's danger there. And we must understand that these words, although he make it not to grow, seem to point us in that direction, that there was a trial of faith. Well, where does, he, where does the believer go in these trials? Sometimes the Lord himself, for his own inscrutable purposes, hides things from us to test our faith. Some, sometimes it's in those occasions of, that, that our faith shakes. Where must we go then? Well, we must go to the faith of Abraham, who against hope believed in hope. Everything seemed to be saying, no, that's not going to happen. We must cleave to the word of promise. We must cleave to the word of promise. A spoke of faith as the telescope. When faith is in strong exercise, like a telescope, it brings the promises into the present. But when faith is shaking, shall we say, we still have to look to the promises. But though faith means that brings them to be present realities, hope looks to them as futures and cleaves to the word of promise. Where else can we go but to the word of promise that is there to us? You have it in Psalm 27. I faint it had. Unless the Lord, unless I had believed to see the Lord's own goodness in the land of those that living be, everything would be would cause us to faint. But the word, the word is sure, and we must cleave to that word, whatever the difficulties, whatever the uh, trials we pass through that seem to say no. The word is true. The promise is yea and amen within that covenant.
in Christ. And that's where our hope must be. That's where our trust must be in these situations. He changes not. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. Cleaving to the promise, Ruth-like, not letting him go. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Just pray. We thank thee that we can say with the psalmist that thou art the enduring one. God shall endure for aid. Thy throne is a righteous throne. Thy kingship is a just kingship. Help us to live in thy fears. Help us to live more closely. Help us to prove in our own experience the faithfulness of the one who has promised whose promises, like himself, change not. Make him precious to us in his passion, in his finished work, and in the sufficiency and suitability of his grace as the one who became dead in our natures, but who has risen triumphant over sin, death, and Satan, and who now lives to bestow upon his people what he has died to win for them. Receive us in our worship. Take away the blemishes in our speaking and hearing. For Jesus' sake, amen.